You can turn to the book of Ruth. You guessed it. You know it. Um, we're back on uh, our Ruth. We're going to be on episode three of Ruth. And remember previously on Ruth, um, previous on the few episodes of Ruth that we've seen so far, we got a lady named uh, Naomi who was married to a man named Elimelech. They took their two boys and moved to another place to, from Israel. They left and went to Moab because of a famine. Their sons found wives there, um, but Elimelech and his two sons died, leaving Naomi, her daughter-in-law Ruth, and her daughter-in-law Orpah with no uh, men in their life. Orpah decides to go home and be, be with the Moabites, but Ruth says, no, I'm going to stick with you. And we saw that Ruth and Naomi um, are left alone with no one to take care of them, a widowed Moabite uh, and, and a, a widowed Israelite. But we saw that in that first chapter, even in the midst of our deepest sorrow, God is still sovereign and he's placing us in the perfect place uh, to bless us again. Um, he, in, that, in that setback that Ruth and Naomi experienced, he was setting them up uh, for something amazing. Then in chapter two, um, scene two, we got to see God's passion for the poor. We got to see how God sovereignly placed Ruth in this perfect position to be blessed by Boaz uh, and to experience God's loving kindness. That Remember that Hesed kind of love, that love that's forever um, ongoing and, and that one-sided love from God. Well, today we get into chapter three, and this is where the, the, uh, the love story really starts to blossom in this book, and it's very cultural, okay? There's tons of cultural stuff going on here. Let me give you an example. When Whitney and I lived in India, um, we would, every Friday night, we would go over to our friend's house. Her name was Sharda. And she would cook us dinner, okay? Um, so we would be hanging out. Whitney, we'd be kind of watching her cook dinner, trying to learn how to cook Indian food. By the way, it did not take very well. Um, but we would watch her cook. And then we'd also watch movies with her, like American movies, okay? Um, so one evening, The Proposal comes on. How many of you have seen The Proposal? Okay, so The Proposal is this movie about this Canadian woman who comes down to the United States to work, but her visa runs out. So in order to be able to remain in the States and work and earn money, she kind of forces her assistant to marry her, to give her uh, an American citizenship, United States citizenship. Um, so in order to prove that they really loved each other as the... As the um, the, the government starts to look into their marriage, right? To prove that they love each other, they take this trip to Alaska where his family's from. And it's this whole process of them having to be married but not really falling in love. And for the Americans, we get that story. But for Sharda, this Indian woman, it made no sense to her. Because the whole time when, when the, the lady's like, hey, I, you know, we don't really want to be married. We don't really want to, um, this is just a temporary wedding. Sharda was like, why didn't she just marry the guy? And we're like, well, Sharda, they don't love each other. She's like, so? He's a good guy. He has a good job. Just marry him. Move on with life. So for Sharda, she comes from a culture where uh, marriages are often set up. And they call our kind of marriages love marriages, right? Um, just uh, two kids choosing uh, to marry one another without any regard for their family. They call that an American love marriage. Right? But for the Indians, they, their families would be highly uh, involved in selecting who they would marry. So for Sharda, that movie made no sense because you're supposed to feel this tension of, 
they're married, but they don't, they shouldn't be married because they're not really in love. Americans get that. We're like, hey, they should be in love first. But for other cultures, they see marriage not just as this romantic love, but also a partnership for life, right? A way to, to, to have children and, and to get along with life. So just like Sharda kind of saw the proposal and was like, hey, I don't really get what's going on here. I don't get what the big deal is. We're going to read this story today, and there's going to be times when we're like, I got no clue what's going on. I have no clue what that means. So we're going to have to uh, have patience with ourselves and dig in and understand what's being said in this so that we can really see uh, the picture of love and redemption that's being placed before us. Because in this story, we're going to see Boaz and Ruth. They're going to, within this, within their relationship, we're going to see this picture of God's redemption that he provides for those who faithfully trust in him. He can provide for our greatest need. And remember, Ruth and Naomi's greatest needs were what? Food and family. God blessed them in chapter two with the food they needed. Now let's see how God is going to bless them with family. So here's our roadmap. We're going to see, number one, we're going to see the preparation of a plan. Preparation of a plan. Then we're going to see this meeting at midnight. And then finally, our third point is going to be this promise of redemption. So let's start off by seeing this preparation of a plan. Let's look at Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Let's read. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may go well with you? And is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women uh, you were? See, he's winnowing in the barley, uh, winnowing the barley tonight at the threshing floor. So let's pause there. So as any good mother-in-law does, Naomi gets involved with Ruth's love life. Right? She starts meddling in what's going on. And remember, at this point, Naomi sees Ruth as her daughter. As her daughter, she even, in some sense, closer to her than her sons ever were. So she goes into full matchmaker mode, Naomi is. She's like, I'm going to find you a husband. She decides she's going to find a new man for Ruth. And who's the target? You guessed it. She's going to set up Ruth and Boaz. She's going to set up Ruth and Boaz. And notice Naomi's uh, uh, listen to her logic. Notice Naomi's motives. Naomi should provide rest for Ruth. That's what she says in verse one. Naomi, your mother-in-law said, my daughter, should I not seek rest that it may go well with you? So we know that she's talking about marriage because the next step she talks about Boaz. But notice that the Bible pictures marriage as rest, as rest. Rest was something that came up in Genesis chapter 1, right? When God made the heavens and the earth and then rested. And God commanded the Israelites to rest on the seventh day as well. And the Bible's picturing marriage as rest. Remember in chapter 1, um, when Naomi was telling Orpah and Ruth, Hey, go back to your country that you may find husbands and find rest in their home, right? So the Bible's picturing marriage as rest. Now, some of you are thinking, Naomi... Has, not, has forgotten what marriage really was like, right? She's lost her Maybe she's forgotten what marriage really is like. Because some of us might not describe our marriage as restful. But the picture is that rest is a place where you have contentment. All the things you have are provided for you. It's a beautiful picture that the Bible gives us of marriage, describing it as rest. So Naomi says, hey, I've got a responsibility 
to find rest for you, to, to find a relationship for you. And Boaz, and she goes on from there and says, Boaz, Naomi should provide rest and Boaz should provide for his family. She goes on in verse 2 and says, is Boaz not our relative? Now here's our first cultural hurdle that we're going to have to jump because um, that sounds weird to us. He's our relative. Should you not marry him? Right? We don't marry our relatives. But number one, Ruth and Boaz do not share blood, so they're not blood related. So we can remove that from the equation. But second, this was a common biblical practice in order to provide for the widows. We see this in the Bible. God built this in so that uh, the vulnerable will be taken care of. God has a heart for the poor, the weak, and the vulnerable. So he provides a way for that to be taken care of. In the culture of the day, and even for this day, being a widow is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. Even for young widows like Ruth, she couldn't earn a ton of money. There's no option for some kind of dating scene, right? That's not really a thing in this culture. And plus, she's been working in the fields all day long. Uh, that's what we've seen Ruth do all, all day long is sweat in the fields. So having no money, not being able to date and sweating in the fields all day long, that is not exactly the best uh, look for a lady who's trying to find a new man, right? But obviously for Boaz, it works because he, he had a date with her that in chapter two, right? But we see Naomi um, sees Boaz as a clear choice. Ruth knows him. He knows Ruth. They've worked together all harvest. And as a, as a kinsman redeemer, he's got a right and a responsibility to take care of his family. So Naomi is preparing this plan. And these are the instructions that she gives to Ruth. Pick up in verse three. This is what Naomi says to Ruth. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on a cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So we see in verse 3, Naomi tells her, take a bath, put on perfume, and wear nice clothes. Go meet him, but don't bug him until he's done eating. Okay, so Naomi knows the stereotypical man, right? She's like, look pretty, and don't bug him while he's eating, right? That's what Naomi tells Ruth to do. It's kind of funny, it's kind of silly, but I think there's more going on to what Naomi's telling Ruth, right? Naomi is telling Ruth, not just, you know, look pretty and smell pretty and all that, but she's also telling her to take off the clothes of a widow and put on the clothes that are, are, would not reflect mourning. So apparently up to this point, Ruth has remained in the clothes of a widow, She's made it known to the people around her. She's lost her husband, that she's in mourning. She's not available. That's, the, that's the, what, the vibe she's been putting off. And Naomi's telling her, hey, make the choice to, to uh, move on from that past experience. Take off the clothes of a widow. Uh, take off the, the, your, your garments of mourning and put on new garments that you're ready for a new start, a new, fresh, uh, a new page to be turned, ready to be remarried. So she tells her one more thing to do, right? In verse four, says, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now this instruction starts to sound a little weird, maybe build some tension for us. She tells Naomi, or Naomi tells Ruth, well, there she about went down. <laughs> Naomi tells Ruth, um, go wash, Take off the clothes of widow, put on new clothes, fresh clothes, and go and meet Boaz. And after he's done eating, after he's done drinking, when he goes and lies down, 
Don't let yourself be known. Go, uncover his feet, and lay down. So we see this plan being prepared, but now we see this midnight meeting happening. And this tension starting to rise. is starting to feel a little bit weird for us because Ruth goes and does exactly what Naomi said to do. She washes, she anoints herself, uh, she wears new clothes, and she goes and finds where Boaz is sleeping, goes and uncovers his feet, right? Um, and this would have been bringing up all kinds of thoughts in our mind. Let's go ahead and read verses 6 through 8. Um, let's see where, where, where this goes. Verse 6 says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went and lay down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At, uh, at midnight, the man was startled, turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So she did exactly what uh, Naomi had said to do. And to back up a little bit, Boaz is at the threshing floor because the harvest is over and he's trying to get his grain into the condition where they would keep it and start using it, right? So they would break up the grain and then they, they would, out in a secluded place, away from town, where the wind would be blowing, there's nothing to block the wind, they would have a place where they could throw the grain in the air, it would blow away the, the chaff, and, and the, the wheat that they would want to keep would come back down in their baskets, right? So that's what the threshing floor is for, it's to get the wheat and the barley back into, into a condition where they can use it. So it's this scene where this Israelite man is all by himself um, out at this threshing floor and this Moabite woman is called in to say, hey, go lay down by his feet. Now, here's where we need to start using some, uh, some, some biblical interpretation, okay? There's a, there's a way that you interpret the Bible and a literary device that people use called intertextuality, okay? That sounds like a big fancy word, but all it means is using plot devices from another story to tell your story. Now, all of you do this every day on social media, right? Anybody heard of a meme? Those little pictures you send to each other? What a meme is, is you're taking elements from another story and applying them to your life, right? It's a picture of um, some TV show or some movie that you've seen, and it takes those plot ideas, that, that what happened in that story, and you apply it to your life to retell your story, okay? We do this every day, and movies do this. So what are, what are the elements that's being used here? This would have been bringing up tons of thoughts in the Israelite mind. It probably would have made them think of Noah, Remember what happened to Noah? Righteous man. God saw him. This is a righteous man. God's going to use him. God uses him to, to save his family. But then, after Noah gets off the ark, he gets drunk from the garden that he makes, uh, and, and, he has a, and, and he sins against the Lord in that sense. So this righteous man falling under the temptation of drinking. Think about Lot. Remember uh, Abraham's nephew? His, his nephew, Lot? After, after Lot saved from Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 19, Lot also gets drunk. And Lot also sins in that. But even worse than, than Noah, Lot ends up having relations with his daughter. And the child that's born from that relationship is named Moab. Hmm, interesting, right? Ruth is a Moabite. And even if you think of the Moabites in the Old Testament, in Numbers 25, remember the Moabites were highly involved in a, in a situation where the, the women seduced the men of Israel and then thousands of Israelite men died. So there is this element of things swirling through the mind of the Israelite reading this story and they're thinking, here we go again. A righteous Israelite being seduced by a foreign woman right after he's been drinking. 
There's all this tension, this rising tension that's happening. But what we think we're going to see is not what we see. What we end up seeing is not a risque resolution to this rising tension. We see a redeeming resolution to this rising tension. See, look what happens in verse 8, or sorry, verse 9. When he wakes up, he said, who are you? Right? That'd be the uh, appropriate response to getting woke up in the night. What, what are you doing here? Who are you? What's going on? Well, she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You are a redeemer. So Ruth, when he wakes up, she makes a humble request of him. She says, I'm your servant. Then she says, spread the wing, uh, spread your wing over your servant. To spread your wing or to spread a garment over somebody was a way of saying that you were going to take them into your care. We see this in Ezekiel 16 when God says of Israel, I spread my garment over you and cover your nakedness. So I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you. Ruth, in chapter 2, remember what Boaz says to Ruth? Um, He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward given to you by the Lord of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So this picture of being taken under somebody, somebody's wings is the idea of entering into a protective relationship with them or, or asking them to marry you. Ruth just proposed to Boaz. Right? We have these ways of saying, uh, uh, of these euphemisms about getting married. Right? We say pop the question, get down on one knee, get hitched, ask for her hand, tie the knot. This is just a phrase that Israelites would use to say, Will you marry me? It's this picture of her being taken in as uh, taking in under Boaz's protection. So she says, basically, will you marry me? You are our family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Remember, this is this idea, this picture of a person who was put uh, this relative that would would come in and make sure that a person who's when somebody would die, this person would step in to make sure that widow was taken care of. They had a, they had a right and an obligation to protect that widow, um, to take care of the property that would have been owned by that man. Right, the, That kinsman redeemer would have the right to come in and purchase that property first and an and a obligation to uh, take care of and provide progeny for children. So we see Ruth coming to Boaz and essentially saying, will you marry me? So Ruth makes a humble request and a bold request as well. A bold request. Remember who Naomi or who Ruth is. She's a foreign lady. Um, this is also women, a woman asking a man to marry her. It would have been awkward in that culture just like for us, right? If you're a Friends fan, uh, if you've seen the TV show Friends, when Monica asked Chandler to marry her, it's weird and awkward and funny, right? It's just not the typical way things are done. So this woman has boldness. She comes before uh, this foreign woman who's uh, penniless, has nothing to give, comes and asks Boaz, will you marry me? And what is Boaz's reaction to this humble request of Ruth? He gives an honorable answer. He responds and shows how righteous Boaz really is. He recognizes her kindness. He recognizes her kindness. Look in verse 10. He says, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. 
you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For you are my, uh, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him, rede- let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And lie down. Uh, and then he tells her, lie down until morning. So we see him recognizing Ruth's kindness. What he means by that, not just her kindness. He's using that, uh, that word hesed. Remember from last week, this loving faithfulness of the Lord. He says, I see hesed in you, this loving faithfulness. Because Naomi in the first place said, or sorry, Ruth in the first place said, I'm going to stay with Naomi and I'm going to take care of Naomi. That was seen as loving faithfulness. And now Boaz also sees her being faithful to not just Naomi, but to the, to the, uh, to the family that would be his, right? He's, she's being faithful to Elimelech and his son to carry on that name and that family. So Boaz recognizes her, her kindness that she wants to preserve that legacy. He also recognizes her worthiness he says, everybody in town knows how, how, how worthy of a woman you are, how you behave properly and rightly. He also seeks to resolve a problem because what problem did he present? It was, hey, I'm a redeemer. I can redeem you. But there's somebody who's closer, who's, who's more first in line. So if he's going to redeem you, okay, that's fine. He'll do it. But if not, I promise I'll do it. So he seeks to resolve the problem properly. And then finally, he seeks to avoid scandal. He seeks to avoid scandal. In verse 14, he says, uh, in, in verse 14, it says, So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could uh, recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So he, he, he keeps this meeting a secret, not because something happened, but because he doesn't want uh, this meeting to be public so that the, the person who would redeem her would hear about it and some scandal would arise. So he seeks to keep that, um, keep that scandal from happening. And then he seeks to make a promise to Ruth and Naomi. So we've seen this preparation of a plan that Naomi put together. Then we see... Uh, Ruth carrying out this plan and even in some sense going farther than the plan, right? Uh, At this midnight meeting. And then finally, we see this promise of redemption. We see in verse 15, and he said, bring the garment, uh, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she holds out her her shirt like this and he starts to fill it. He says, Uh, So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then he went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, the mother-in-law said, how did you fare, daughter? Then she told all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, you must not go empty handed back to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, for until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So we see this promise of redemption. Instead of sending Ruth back empty handed, he gives her six measures of barley. We don't know how much a measure is because that word is just uh, measure means just measure. It'd be like us saying six units. A unit can mean anything. 
Um, maybe. Remember, Ruth's pretty strong because she carried like 50 pounds of barley last time. Maybe she's carrying a ton. Maybe it's just a little. People debate about what the meaning of six measures is, but there's no debate that it's at least a promise, a promise to fulfill what he had just said, to say that I will marry you. I will redeem you. So there's this promise of, uh, promise of redemption that Boaz makes, a seal saying, hey, I will take care of you. You know, some ladies like diamonds, others like chocolate. Apparently, Ruth loves some barley. So uh, Boaz makes this promise by saying, hey, take some barley with you. I promise this will be done. Maybe some of you ladies are like, I like bread too. Take me, take me to Olive Garden and get some breadsticks, right? Um, but Ruth, but uh, Boaz makes this promise. I'm going to redeem you. So at the end of all this, I think we see two pictures of application that we can take from this story today. Two pictures of application. Our first picture of application is a picture of purity, a picture of purity. Remember the setting in which the story of Ruth takes place in the book of Judges, right? We don't know when in the book of Judges it takes place, but it does take place in the time of the Judges. And remember the the phrase that characterizes the book of Judges is, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody was doing whatever it was that they thought was right in their own eyes. But Ruth and Boaz are radically countercultural in this. Radically countercultural. While there is inten- in the story, there's intentionally this tension that's brought up by this woman, this Moabite woman going to meet Boaz in the night. It's intentionally put in that setting to show that nothing did happen, that there is a picture of purity, that Boaz and Ruth are resisting the way their culture would tell them to act in that situation. Ruth could have used her beauty to get her way, and Boaz could have taken advantage of a vulnerable woman. But both of them chose not to do what was right in their own eyes, but to do what was right in the Lord's eyes. That should be our attitude, that we would do what is right in the Lord's eyes in all situations, but particularly in the realm of sexual purity. It is good for us to be countercultural, to go against the way our, count, our culture would say we should live. We do not have to be like the world in this area. Young men, you do not have to participate in locker room talk, right? I see a lot of the young men looking down right now. They should be looking up. Andrew, <laughs> you looking at the phone? Listen, if you're a young man, you should, you don't have to participate in locker room talk. You don't have to watch the video. You don't have to make the joke. You don't have to participate in that. You don't have to. Young ladies, you don't have to let the world tell you how to measure beauty and what you should do with that beauty, right? Young men, young women resist those things. Old men and old women, I'm including myself in that, older folks, be concerned with the things that you're watching with your eyes, the words that you're speaking with your mouth. Strive for purity. Be countercultural. We don't have to act the way that the world does. And I promise, I promise you will not regret it. No one at the end of their life thinks, I wish I would have been less pure. No one is going to say that. No one will say that. No one will say at the end of their life, I wish I would have been less pure. I wish I would have uh, let my guard down more. No one says that, right? So strive for purity. And I promise that will end up well for you. But I think more importantly and bigger, we don't just see this picture of purity. 
we also see a picture of redemption. Remember, as we read the Bible, we don't just want to say, hey, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with Jesus? This whole picture of the Bible. And I think Boaz, again, just like last week, Boaz is a picture and a foreshadowing of our kinsman redeemer. Our kinsman redeemer, right? Boaz is a foreshadowing of that. Just as Boaz deals with Ruth, so Christ deals with his repentant people. Ruth casts herself at the feet of Boaz, and we should cast ourselves at the feet of Christ. She looks to Boaz as a place of mercy and hope and safety, and so should we to Christ for safety and security and salvation. Just as Ruth is covered by Boaz's garment, we are covered by the blood of Christ. And just as Boaz takes in this penniless alien, Christ takes in the spiritually poor and the, and the foreigner who's far off from him in sin. And just as Boaz takes in Ruth as his bride, so Christ in the New Testament takes the church as his bride, redeeming us from everything in our past, paying the price that's necessary to be paid so that he might bring us into his family. Now, for Naomi, or sorry, for Ruth, we see that her past, right, had to deal with heartache, brokenness, sorrow from losing her husband and seeing her mother-in-law lose her husband. Some of our heartache in the past is from circumstances like that, but a lot of times, well, for every single one of us, the heartache in our life has also come from sin that we've committed that we've partaken in and what Christ can do, this picture of redemption says all that from the past can be taken away, taken off, and you can put on the new, right? Just as as Ruth says, I'm removing these clothes of mourning and putting on clothes of celebration. You can do that in your life as well because you have a redeemer just like Boaz in Christ who says no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what's gone on in the past, I'm making a promise to redeem you, uh, redeem you, pay the price that needs to be paid. So this morning, as we see this picture, we see this picture of Ruth and Boaz, know that in this love story that's been provided here is actually foreshadowing what Christ does for his church, pays the price for her and brings her into relationship with him, providing family for those who are without family. If you're here this morning and you're thinking spiritually, I'm a widow. Spiritually, I'm orphaned. I don't have a spiritual relationship with God. I'm lost. I've gone away from here or I've gone away from the Lord. I need to be brought back into relationship with him. This can be the day when you see Christ, not just as some distant, far off thing they talk about at church, but you can see him as your redeemer, the one who wants to bring you into relationship with him. And if you are in that relationship with him already, if you're like, man, I'm a Christian, I've appreciated God as my redeemer, praise him for it this morning about how great he truly is. And never take for granted that you can be part of his family. Let's go to the Lord and pray and then we'll sing this song of response.